Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about Loki, Episode 3, Lamentis. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Serretta. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Okay, so let's get into this, Brad. Uh, you know, as always, we... We do these spoiler episodes in four parts. We start off with feedback, answering your questions, theories, concerns. Uh, we go into our brief reaction to the episode. We do a breakdown, beat by beat of the episode, uh, dissecting it. And then we end with our speculation of what could be coming up. So let's start with feedback. I got an email from Brian from Pop Culture Leftovers Podcast, and he writes in in episode two the last episode at around 42 minutes and 44 seconds c20 played by sasha lane says it's real i want to go home i, I mentioned that this is me speaking peter not the email uh <laughs> i mentioned the last episode the it's real i did not pick up on the i want to go home um brian here says that she's talking about her life before the tva the life that she was, was stolen from her by whoever it is behind the tva and as we see in this episode brian was right so um he does also say a theory here that i also believe the other analyst that renslayer has is a mobius variant what do you think about that brad uh i think that would make sense it would be an interesting uh, twist, especially considering what we learn about the employees of the TVA in this episode, or at least have confirmed. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's, it's it's possible. Yeah. So we get different versions of Loki, but we also get different versions of Owen Wilson. I'm in. Um, and he also says, PPS, Loki will see how pathetic old Loki is. Played by Richard E. Grant. That's something we've theorized and other people have theorized that Richard E. Grant's going to be playing an old version of Loki. Uh, he says that uh, Tom Hiddleston's version of Loki will see how pathetic old Loki is. And he will then send kid Loki, played by Jack Feel. I haven't heard that theory, but apparently uh, Jack Feel is in this and 
he could be playing a younger Loki. Maybe some people are theorizing uh, he could send young Loki back to the MCU to find his own glorious purpose and not make the same mistakes he did. This ties into the passing of the torch in legacy we've been seeing in phase four with Falcon Cap, uh, Billy and Tommy and WandaVision and the new Black Widow uh, in the Black Widow movie. Uh, what do you think of that theory, Brad? Um, I think that it's, it's it's possible that we could see that happen. I'm I'm not necessarily sure how integral like Kid Loki will come come into play in this plot. I, I do think that there's a good chance that Richard E. Grant could be pulling the strings as old man Loki and that the timekeepers might not be around anymore. And he's actually the one who is in control of the TVA. That's my current working uh, theory, but yeah, there, there's a lot of possibilities here. Okay. I'm now plugged in. Okay. I think we should be good. Okay. <laughs> it was like, your computer's going to turn off in five seconds. <laughs> no. It's like, oh no, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you were at the end of your uh, uh, answering that theory. I'll, I'll go on to the next email. Okay. Um, and we got another email from Rob J of Madison, Wisconsin. And he writes in with a lot of love for this podcast. We thank you. Uh, this past week, you asked about the repercussions of Loki being removed from the timeline. It's just speculation, but my hunch is that this is how the series will end with Loki having his mind wiped and willingly going back to the correct timeline, despite knowing how it ends for him. What do you think of that theory, Brad? I think that's a very good way to end his arc. Um, but at the same time, and I guess I feel I'm starting to think that maybe Loki is going to be more of a one-off series than something that can continue. Even if the premise lends itself to a procedural series that allows Loki to, solve various time crimes with the TVA because I think when all is said and done <laughs> based on how things are going, what leads you to believe that Brad? <laughs> I, I just, I, I feel like the TVA is going to crumble by the end of this series. Yeah. Um, and there's not going to be anything for him to do anymore. So that, I think that's the best way to end is for him to accept his fate uh, and still fulfill what he realizes is his glorious purpose. Um, and, but maybe take it, you know, with them in a much different uh, perspective. Um, yeah. So I, I think that that's, that's a fair assessment. I, I don't know. I don't know if I like the whole brain, like uh, them wiping his mind. You know, if I have one problem with these Disney plus shows, it, it's my problem. And it's also the thing I, I applaud them for. It's the whole clever conceit of the whole thing that, they kind of leave off on the same – they leave you off on the same way they begin with so that if you if you only watch the movies, you don't really miss anything. And, and by that, I mean um, – we've talked about this in the past, but like, you know, Endgame, uh, Captain America gives Falcon the shield. And the next time we are going to see him in the movies, he'll be the Captain America he became in the – tv show and you won't even feel like you missed anything because it, it's just kind of the continuation of that that story beat and in wandavision you know spoilers for wandavision here but uh leaves the character alone and grieving just the way the same way she started so i guess my question is here will loki be any different and shake things up will this we have all these theories of how this might connect to Doctor Strange, how it might connect to the next Ant-Man movie. 
like will this have more repercussions or will it literally just send loki back into the avengers one with his mind wiped and <laughs> well personally i don't necessarily think loki has to have his mind wiped in order for to do that if anything i think it makes it more meaningful if he doesn't have his mind wiped and he still makes the conscious decision to go back to his timeline and face everything that is coming that he learned about while with the tva but right? would he make all those decisions i feel like he would be a different person well i think that he i think that the idea would be that whatever journey he goes on in the remaining three episodes of the series allows him to make that decision, knowing that it's the best thing for him to do and that he needs to make those decisions for whatever reason that he accepts it as his, his fate, um, you know, rather than making decisions that would change that timeline at the same time, maybe there's no, there's, there's no reason that he has to do that. If you know, there's all these multiverses that are happening and Loki will still be at large in some capacity. I, I love how this show has kind of brought about this like meta thought of like fate and determinism. And it's let us think about this timeline in a totally different way. And three episodes in, it's kind of feels like they're, they're pulling the rug out from under us and being like, oh, no, it's not really that. Like there's these people trying to control time and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, like, so maybe, maybe Loki isn't fated to be a bad guy after all, I guess maybe could be the end of the series. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's get into our brief thoughts of this episode. I'll go first. Uh, the first two episodes were kind of small in scale. I don't think people were complaining about this because it, they, they were really good, but they were mostly people, in small rooms talking across the table about fate determinism what it means to be a villain in the marvel cinematic universe uh this episode goes big in scale it has like this huge action has great production design it just it like looks different and looks big as some fun world building that city that looks kind of like guardians galaxy meets blade runner um i don't know that final shot which was just like this long one take, which I'm sure it's a combination of many takes, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, I don't know. I, I just really dug it. On the other hand, I know people are probably going to criticize this episode as being kind of like a, I want to say a filler episode, like a bottle episode, because it doesn't really answer many of the questions that were asked by the ending of episode two. And it kind of sent our heroes on the side quest uh we only have one kind of big reveal in this episode but it, it kind of feels like uh you know next week we'll get back to the the a story and i'm sure some people will feel that way i i really like the relationship here between this whole episode is kind of like a bonding of sorts and getting to know them and get, getting for them to know each other and uh seeing two different loki's kind of um have a meeting of the minds. Uh, do, do you think this is a love story, Brad? Um, in a way, I think sure. I'm not sure it's it'll necessarily be like a traditional love story. Um, so I, I actually asked Sam Hiddleston about about this, um, and it was before like we could really like dig in deep like to talk about it since they hadn't fully confirmed that Sofia Di Martino was playing a yeah. female version of Loki. Um, and I proposed the idea of, you know, whether that being a deeper relationship, because it would be really interesting if the, you know, the one person that Loki was able to fall in love with suddenly was a version of himself. Um, and Tom Hiddleston laughed at that and said that that would be 
quite interesting. So uh, I think that it's possible, but I think it's, I think there's probably something different than like a, a traditional romantic relationship here. I think it's just like recognition of themselves and each other and seeing each other in a different light to help each of them understand their own flaws and perspectives. Yeah. Well, Loki is such a narcissist that I could imagine him falling in love with another version of himself. But uh, uh, Brad, what did you think of this episode? Yeah, I, I like this too. And I, I appreciate that Marvel was willing to um, let Michael Waldron and Kate Heron have this series that involves these uh, long winding conversations that are such a departure from what you expect from the Marvel movies. You know, there are, there are funny quips in the Marvel movies and there, there's some thoughtful dialogue, but it's largely focused on blockbuster action and progressing uh, the story of these superheroes. And this is do, doing that and it does deliver some cool action, but it really just isn't rushing through these little character details. And that's what I, what I've really been loving about, all of the Marvel shows so far is that it allows us to dig into these characters in a way that wasn't possible in the movies with such a vast uh, roster of characters that we have to focus on. So getting these moments with Loki and expanding him that he beyond being, uh, you know, a two dimensional villain. And that's not to say that he was just a bland two dimensional villain before, because he was the most developed villain in the entire MCU. Uh, but this is, you know, just making his story so much richer and deeper uh, and doing so in a really fascinating way. Um, and yeah, there, there's also just really cool stuff with uh, being on Lamentis, especially the the final moments of this uh, episode with a, a really great one-shot sequence that was super impressive. Um, so yeah, it's a, a really great episode again. Yeah. Um, in this episode three, it's titled Lamentis, which is the name of the moon. Most of this episode takes place on. It's also... The Latin word that means to weep or groan or to lament. Um, this episode is 42 minutes long and is almost 10 minutes shorter than the previous two episodes. But I would argue it feels like the longest episode, not in a bad way. It just feels big. Um, before we get into this, I want to say uh, episode three was written by Bisha K. Ali. Uh, she worked on uh, Sex Education with director Kate Heron and... Clues, four weddings and a funeral. And more interestingly, she's going to be the head writer on Miss Marvel. So you have some uh, Marvel pedigree uh, coming uh, coming up with this episode. Um, okay, so this episode begins with uh, some music playing over the Marvel's title. It's a song called Demons by Haley Keok. I can't pronounce his last name. Haley Keoko. Am I pronouncing that? I'm probably not pronouncing that right. Keokeo. Yes. Okay. Well, sure. what Brad said. We'll, we'll go with what Brad said. I, I, I feel bad, but I'm really bad at pronouncing names like this. Um, but anyways, um, what's notable here is, well, first of all, it's, like, it's a cool way to start it. it. It's like, it feels different. It feels fresh. But um, it's also, I wanted to bring this up because the song... If you if you actually listen to the lyrics, it says "Please forgive me, I've got demons in my head," which I think is a reference to what is go actually going on in this scene, this opening scene that we see. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that, and we have at, in the scene sitting at a bar is Sasha Lane, who played Hunter C twenty. We saw that saw her in last week's episode. She was the one of, of the Minutemen that was abducted 
by Lady Loki, which is what I'm going to call her for right now. Um, and uh, if you recognize this actress, it's because she starred in American Honey, and she was also in the recent Hellboy film. And um, so she's in the scene with Lady Loki, and they are sitting at a restaurant. They are drinking some tropical drinks. I don't know quite where they are. You see some mountains in the background. And Lady Loki is basically trying to get information on the timekeeper's location. The whole thing is taking place in the mind of the hostage as a like a mental projection. And uh, as the Minutemen soldiers jump to the timeline, basically Lady Loki sent the – well, I should say that that last scene, the first scene – takes place kind of during the end of last week's episode because we, we end the last week's episode by fi- finding out that C20 has given the location of the, the timekeeper. So we cut to the next scene and this is uh, the Minutemen soldiers are jumping to the different timelines because Lady Loki has set the, sent those charges all throughout time to disrupt time and those reset charges. And she appears in the TVA building to finish her mission to find the timekeepers um, I guess my first question to you, Brad, is so were all the the reset charges that she sent throughout history, was that just done as a distraction or was, I mean, it's a brilliant distraction to get all the Minutemen out of the building so she can invade it and get to the timekeeper or did she have a purpose of changing time as well? Maybe both hmm. okay i guess we'll, we'll we'll find out in a future episode but you think it's possibly both yeah i mean it makes sense like like you said it's a good distraction but also i think part of uh going to see the timekeepers is probably to stop them from whatever they're doing which seems to likely be controlling time so that they can maintain their own uh control and power over the universe. And I think yeah. that, you know, branching the timeline into the a multiverse is also another way of doing that. Yeah. By the way, we have some good theories coming up in this episode. So stay tuned for that. But, um, okay. So lady Loki approaches a Minuteman agent and tries to enchant them, but it doesn't work on him. Do you know why Brad? Tell me. <laughs> it's because, <laughs> If we remember in the first episode of the series, Loki tried to do magic in the TVA, and he found out that magic does not work in the TVA for some reason. Indeed. Yeah. More on that later. I I think we have some theories on why that is. Um, By the way, I I do want to mention right now that there's times where – there's many times where I ask Brad questions that I know the answers to. Like someone on Twitter was like, how do you not follow this? And you're doing a podcast. I I know the answer. I'm setting Brad up. I'm I'm being a host and setting Brad up to answer it because I know he has an interesting opinion on something. (laughs) That's that's how it's working. Anyways, um, uh, I would hope I would have an understanding of the series because I watch each episode three times. If I don't, then there's something seriously wrong. Um, we So we get this awesome hallway fight where Lady Loki takes out a bunch of Minutemen officers. Um, I know we had that Superstore fight last episode, but this is the first time I think I've actually been really impressed by the action in the series. Um, 
And with that, I want to mention that uh, shout out to Monique Ganderton. She's the second unit director of the show, and she's like, I'm guessing, responsible for this action. Uh, she got her first acting role in a Marvel TV show. It was a shitty sci-fi series called Mutant X that was produced by Avi Arad. But she's been doing stunts for 20 years. She worked in Guardians of the Galaxy. She moved her way up to stunt coordinator on Thor Ragnarok and the last two Avengers movies and Captain Marvel. And this is her first shot as second unit directing, and I think she's doing a great job. Uh, Brad, I wanted to ask what you thought of the action in this episode. Yeah, I thought the action was uh, fantastic in this episode. That uh, first hallway uh, fight with uh, Sylvie slash Lady Loki taking out some uh, Minutemen uh, was an impressive use of a very simple space. You know, like the kicking off of the hallway walls and just... Uh, the way she moves and, and fights, it was uh, a very well-crafted sequence. And there's, um, yeah, some other cool moments throughout the, the episode as well. I also love the use of, like, that baton thing that, like, totally disintegrates people. Yeah. Yeah, it looks cool. Um, okay, so Loki arrives at the TVA offices in pursuit. He arrives just before Lady Loki is able to get into the gold elevator, which we know supposedly takes you to the timekeepers. Uh, Loki and Lady Loki go at it for a minute before Renslayer shows up. Lady Loki tries to use Loki as a threatened hostage, saying he, she'll kill him. And Renslayer is like, I don't sure do that. <laughs> Just, I mean, this whole time, like this, these whole three episodes, Renslayer doesn't seem to care, give any shits about Loki dying. So that's interesting. Um, Loki uses this opportunity to send them through a time door to someplace else it turns out to be this mining tent somewhere so lady loki tries to use the tem pad to get out of there but it, the batteries are drained um i think this is a fun conceit because having that ten pad kind of makes things so easy for them like you in any bad situation, like if you're with a Minuteman agents or you, or you have that 10 pad, you could just whip your way out of any danger. But now that it's drained and the battery, you know, they need to recharge the batteries. Like it takes that tool out of the equation and kind of pushes uh, the creativity of the storytelling. So I like that. Um, Lady Loki tells Loki not to call her Loki. Uh, Tiny Meteor comes flying through the roof reveal that they're on a on the purple moon lamentus and brad i think you wrote about this in your easter egg article for the site this has some uh some basis in the marvel comics right yeah very minor though like there's nothing that ties to anything uh major in in marvel comics that has come into the mcu in any way um but it's it made an appearance um in a uh, a marvel comics line called annihilation uh and it was actually a, a prologue issue and it's a uh reference as a place called lamentus outworld uh and it's said to be at the very edge of Cree space and it was depicted in comics with the same kind of purple hues that we see in this episode of loki yeah it doesn't seem like there was really much in the in terms of the comics other than the look they like the purple. The, the look, and plus, I think that like there's probably some kind of significance, at least thematically, with the the name of it, since it refers to the idea of lament. Yeah. And much of the series is dealing with Loki's lament and realizing, you know, his place in the universe. And there's probably some lament that Sylvie is dealing with on her end, and she's doing something that uh, for a reason that is obviously 
pissed her off as well. Good point. So this is taking place in 2077, and the planet is about to crash onto this moon. Um, so this must have uh, – oh, one thing I wanted to bring up but I completely forgot to bring up, um, Brad, but the, the Loki opening title sequence the um, that has the Loki name um, – we, I know we've talked about it in the past because those are those changing letters and we've theorized what that means. Um, I did, in my research for this episode, I came across this uh, video from Heavy Spoilers. And they pointed out that th- that whole opening title was created using this technique where you take a photocopy of something and you photocopy it over and over and over again. It's called generation loss. Ah, so, so interesting. So, yeah, so every time you photocopy it, like you'll lose some some of the quality. It's kind of like when you you know copy a VHS tape over and over and over again. Um, but I just thought it was interesting that the title sequence is kind of copies of copies of the same thing. Yeah, maybe there's so, something to that. Yeah, um, I don't know. It, it, it's cool that like things aren't just there to look cool. I mean, it does look cool, but like maybe it has some thematic uh, tie-in. Um, okay, so anyways the where were we oh yeah the planet is about to crash onto the moon uh i'm guessing they are there because this must have been one of the apocalypse choices that lady loki had yeah i mean if this this is clearly an apocalyptic event so yeah. that was probably it, we never saw this listed in the uh the brief um sh- uh, monitor shot that we saw of all the other places oh, yeah. that charges were dropped but yeah this is clearly one of them yeah, and she clearly knows about it because she's like, we're in Lamentis yeah. oh no, or something. Um, so the, while the music builds in the sequence, I want to again shout out to Natalie Holt. She's the composer for the series. And for me, the soundtrack for the series is just so weird and interesting and sci-fi and different. And they're using like Thurmans. It, it, it's using, um, what is that thing that you put on top of like a piano and it like keeps the, like it, has that sound of like a quite ticking clock um a metronome metrodome yeah like you you hear that i don't know i, I just think like i know so many people were raving about ludwig uh, gornson's mandalorian score and i feel like the score like no one's talking about the score and i feel like the score deserves the same kind of praise what do you think about the score for this yeah, it's it has a unique cosmic uh sound to it um almost like a I guess like a, a a 60s 70s sci-fi kind of vibe to it. The the instrumentals are very unique and different from what we've heard in uh, the Marvel universe before. So yeah, it's it's I, I like your comparison to Ludwig Göransson's music because it does have that um, that refreshing sound kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Uh, so Loki has the temp pad hidden, which means now Lo- Lady Loki needs to protect him at all costs which is kind of an interesting turn. And also Loki needs her because he doesn't know how to recharge it. So they both need each other. Um, You know, good storytelling here. It's here that Lady Loki tries to use her enchantress powers to go inside Loki's head. But as we learn later in this episode, Loki is too strong for her to do that. So Brad, were you right about her being the enchantress? It would seem so. Um, I mean, that's, she, she does confirm that she's at least calling herself Sylvie and Sylvie does become uh, the enchantress in Marvel comics. And since she's using enchantments, I think that's a, it's a pretty good assumption. Yeah. Um, so she explains that the plan uh, he interrupted was years in the making. 
she was Loki, but she changed her name to Sylvie. Uh, the episode here is all about the building of this relationship, and we see the differences and sim- similarities. And it's fun to see Loki interact with a different multiverse version of Loki, which I think is the fun of this episode, as I said before. Uh, so they walk through the main strip of the mining town, and it's been abandoned. abandoned. Uh, Sylvie tries to trick Loki into giving her her the temp pad, but he he obviously he's too smart for it. Doesn't fall for it. They find one homestead on the edge of town that isn't empty, but the woman inside is armed. And Loki's attempt to mimic her old lost husband does not work. Um, I do want to mention that the actress here is uh, she plays a reoccurring homeless woman on Cobra Kai. So shout out to her. Anyways, um, so uh, she tells them about the arc which is leaving tonight to get survivors off the moon. And of course the arc has enough power to re- recharge the temp pad. So uh, they need to get to the temp pad to reach or they need to get to the arc to recharge the temp pad or else they will die. Um, I love that. They're like using this episode, this like time travel concept to explore like, a deep impact scenario in the Marvel cinematic universe. And it's something that we'd never see in a Marvel movie. Um, anyways. Okay. So Loki takes the form of one of the military officers and Sylvie's help with Sylvie's help. They're able to trick their way onto the train headed to the arc. And it seems like only like the rich people are allowed entry to the train to go to the arc. It's all the poor people are like, upset that they are not going to get pack passage and they're going to die in this apocalypse. I noticed in your Easter eggs article, you had an Easter egg for this moment. Yeah. If you uh, look in the credits, this is the only way that you're going to uh, find this Easter egg because it, they don't say the actual characters names. Um, and so the, the two guards that Loki uh, and Sylvie talk to apparently have the names Hudson and Hicks. And that is a direct reference uh, to the characters Corporal Dwayne Hicks and Private William Hudson, who are played by Michael Bean and Bill Paxton in James Cameron's Aliens. Is is there any reason for this Easter egg, or you just think it's fun because it's a sci-fi thing? Yeah, know? I think it's a fun sci-fi thing. And plus, I part of me wonders if maybe the names were come up they came up with afterwards because uh, if you look at the helmets that the guards wear, they kind of look like xenomorph heads. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so the inside of the train looks unlike any train I've ever seen before. It almost looks like this cool intergalactic bar or something. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the the look of this tra- train? It almost reminds me of... Um, Snowpiercer. Yeah, Snowpiercer. Like this whole scenario kind of reminds me of Snowpiercer. Do you have any thoughts? Uh, no, it's. I mean, it's yeah, it's a very cool setting. Def- I, I immediately got those Snowpiercer vibes as well, except obviously it's just, you know, rich people on the train. So <laughs> Yeah. Of course. Uh, so Sylvie asked about Loki's mother and she knew and it reveals that she actually knew that she was adopted. They told her unlike Loki. Um, so in this moment, I think there's some important things to learn here. We, it's very apparent that Sylvie did not have the same exact life Loki had. She, she taught herself magic instead of learning from her mom. Um, why doesn't Sylvie ask about Loki's mom? Why why do you think Sylvie doesn't know much about her own mom? Um that's a good question and I guess it probably depends on what they're doing with Lady Loki/Sylvie slash from 
the comics um you know because it could go either way you know i i can't i imagine that not uh every version of loki has the same history with you know their their parents um real or adoptive that you know the loki that we know does so it could vary um you know if it's sylvie then oh go ahead i was gonna say we do see at one point like uh her file and it does have the same last name is loki so she was born from the frost giants and judging by her look and saying she was adopted she definitely taken in on asgard right yeah i mean you would assume so anyway if at least if that's you know true um and what you know is accurate um but uh, clearly she's taking a different path even beyond it though because she doesn't even want to be called loki anymore you know she wants to be called sylvie so yeah at one point here she even brings up the fact that loki is a prince and the way she says it almost sounds like it's a different life than what she's known but maybe i'm reading too much into that um, we do learn that she spent many years running away from the TVA. So uh, there's some motives of why she wants to get back at the TVA. Uh, Sylvie jokes that he's had a relationship going or that she's had a relationship going with a postman as she's been running across time from one apocalypse to another. Um, <laughs> this might be going too far, Brad, but I need to ask you, do you think that she's just joking or is there a postman? Maybe, yeah, maybe it's the postman from WandaVision. <laughs> yeah, I, the whole time I was wondering what was going on with that postman, and that this is it. Uh, so she asked Loki about the, his relationship status, perhaps a princess or another prince, to which he responds, a bit of both. I suspect the same as you. So this is good because, first of all, Loki's sexu- sexuality is taken directly from the Marvel comics. Uh, most notably agent of Asgard, which also made the character gender, gender fluid. And uh, director Kate Heron tweeted uh, overnight, she, she tweeted, from the moment I joined Loki, it was very important for me in my goal to acknowledge Loki was bisexual. It is a part of who he is and who I am too. I know this is a sm- very, a very, a, a, wait, I know this is a small step, but I'm happy and heart is so full to say that this is now canon in the MCU. So what do, what do you, what do you think about this this uh I want to say change, but this re- reveal. Uh I mean this this is is this the first specifically stated LGBT character in the MCU? I know they had that Russo brothers. One of the Russo brothers played a character in Endgame in a throwaway line was was gay, but is this the first hero? Um, it's, yeah, it's, I think, and, and it's the first time it's been like directly acknowledged and confirmed too. So yeah, the, the, definitely the first major character in the MCU to be confirmed as such. You know what? And now that, now I'm remembering after asking that, that there was Valkyrie was originally bisexual and there was this cut scene in Thor Ragnarok that didn't make the movie. Yeah. That basically, re, yeah. So, so this is the first one that's official, official. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So uh, again, like uh, Kate Heron said, uh, small, uh, you know, small steps, um, but uh, I'm glad to see it happening. And it, it was, I was happy to see so many people on on Twitter, happy to see it happening. So um, Sylvie says, maybe love is hate or she, she theorizes it could be mischief to which Loki tries to come up with his own analogy, which love is an imaginary dagger. 
which felt like a good metaphor before it wasn't. And uh, later, Sylvie wakes up to find a drunk Loki singing in an Asgardian song where they share like this intimate moment together across the room. Uh, do you want to talk about this moment? Uh, I mean, it's, um, I'm not sure. I, I don't want to, it's not just a cool moment, but like, yeah, there's, there's a, a level of um, intimacy between the, them here. That's kind of unspoken. And, but at the same time, it also turns into kind of like this bullshit thing that reminds you how good, you know, these two both are at kind of being manipulative and making things sound good when they're not all that great. You know, when we get into the whole thing of Loki's thing that love is a dagger, you know, and has this like very fancy explanation about it. And then she's like, no, that's that's shit. That that, that doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And this whole scenario. Yeah. I'm I'm guessing that moment is kind of like a moment of connection between two, you know, as guardians that are from different times and stuff like that. And um, also, just watching the scene play out in this like intergalactic bar on a train and this whole whole things of this episode. If I'm not, I'm not sure about you or if like, it's just me, but this episode has some serious like star Trek, the next generation vibes to it. Yeah. And one, apparently too, there's like, um, obviously we're not big Dr. Who fans, but, uh, Jacob and HT on the the team keep talking about how much, much more the series is feeling like Dr. Who as it goes on as well. Yeah. Okay, so Loki has been making enough noise that the military officers investigate, and when he doesn't have tickets, him and Sylvie have to fight their way out. And unfortunately, out they go, left stranded on the side of the tracks as a ways away from the Ark. Um, I think the coolest part of this fight is Sylvie using her horns as a weapon. She takes it off her head and like actually uses it like, as a dagger. And... Um, also worth noting, I think she ends up losing her horns in the battle, so she doesn't have it for the rest of the the episode, unless it's like hidden somewhere. Um, so, anyways, uh, Loki finally relents and gives Sylvie the tenth pad, but it's been destroyed in the battle. Uh, my question to you, Brad. <laughs> Here, here's my conspiracy theory uh, hat on. Uh, but it's, sometimes it works. L- l- last week it worked with one of my crazy theories panned out, and we'll get to that in a little later. Um, is it like, before this moment, whenever she asked for the temp pad, he refused it, refused, he was reluctant. But here, like she asked for it, and he's so easily like here, and then he pulls it out and it's broken. Is it possible that it's actually not broken and that the, what we're seeing in is, is an illusion created by Loki? Uh, yes, I do think that, think that that's possible. Um, one of the other things that I think maybe even more potentially, uh, conspiracy related is that part of me wonders if maybe some, some of this, if not all of this is, uh, an illusion that Loki has created or potentially, um, an enchantment of his own somehow. Because I think that there is probably a good reason that we are explained how her enchantments work in this episode so -hmm. that we are aware how that functions when it's likely revealed at some point that somebody is has been under an enchantment or that there's some kind of enchantment in place. um, And what makes me think that is it seems 
a little coincidental that we have this opening scene at a bar where Sylvie is talking to the the um the TVA agent, the hunter, and she suddenly forgets what was going on and it's a you know it's basically like a new scene where she's still trying to get information from her about the timekeepers and we also have this scene with loki and sylvie in a bar where she falls asleep and she wakes up and suddenly he's singing these songs and everything so Mm. that's i was i was wondering about that well the problem with this theory i like this theory brad but the problem is as far as we know loki doesn't know how to enchant until she explains it to him, maybe, maybe she, he can do that after that, but that takes place after. It, well, I thought of that too, but she does try to enchant him before that. Mm, yeah. So I don't know. I, it, it's, I, like I said, it's, it's definitely a conspiracy theory level kind of thing, and it's probably, <laughs> probably not true, but I, it did make me wonder. Okay. Um, I like it. I like it. We'll see. Okay, so an entire planet is headed for this moon and will destroy everyone on the planet, including them and even the people in the Ark. As we learn, it will actually get destroyed as well. No one actually makes it off. Uh, But Loki has the idea that they could hijack the Ark, change history, escape the apocalypse by escaping this moon. So now we have some like big stakes here and everything kind of ramps up all of a sudden. Uh, as they walk, Sylvia explains how she enchants the what you mentioned earlier. I, I totally think that's a setup for something. Yeah. What? I don't know. Um, but the biggest reveal of the episode comes in this. And it's kind of, and I will say this when <laughs> I, you know, I was a person who was a screenwriter before I got into writing about movies and, uh, what they tell you is when you want to hide a setup, you hide it right before a big, like something, a big something else. You want to distract people from seeing that it's a setup. So she she does tell Loki how to become or how she enchants, but then it's followed up by the reveal that the TVA soldier that she had hostage had a very clouded mind that Sylvie had to pull a memory from hundreds of years prior before she joined the TVA. She was just a regular person on Earth. Sylvie reveals that the TVA agent, agents are actually variants, quote, just like us. So this is a big reveal that we didn't know. You know, previously it was told to us that the that the timekeepers created all the TVA agents and they exist outside of time in this place. And um, I think last week, I, I came out, I pulled a crazy theory out of my butt, Brad. Uh, I even called it a crazy theory because I didn't think it was true. But I, I, I thought that these people were people that were taking hostage out of time and kind of brainwashed to be part of this TVA. And it seems like that's kind of the case here. Was I right? No, that's, I mean, that is what they're saying. Yeah, that obviously yeah. the people in the TVA are variants. And that, that explains why uh, Owen Wilson has such a fascination with stuff from the nineties, like just cola, the, those adult juice boxes and jet skis. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Loki and Sylvie approach the main city area. And we'll, by the way, we'll, t- we'll talk about what the ramifications for that are and speculation, but I just want to get through this episode first. Um, so Loki and Sylvie approach the main city area where the arc is going to be launching from. It looks like something out of guardians of the galaxy meets Blade Runner. It's like this futuristic neon hellscape. And 
I kept on like looking. It almost looked. Uh, I think Jacob brought this up in our Slack channel too. That like it looked like some of the text might be like the same kind of text that was on Star Wars shirt and Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Volume Two. Yeah, we and I looked. I, I looked into that and I tried to compare it, and I couldn't find any symbols that that match it. It does have a similar character style um yeah. but there were, wasn't anything that i could like try to try and like decrypt it that um any letters matched or anything like that yeah but it, it definitely has like you know people say that marvel has a a a look and feel to it and they they really it does feel of that like guardians galaxy world um so the citizens here are rioting because they aren't allowed onto the arc it's pure chaos and uh Here's where we start this wonderful. I'm not sure if people even noticed this when they're watching it. I, I noticed it was like partly one shot in my first viewing, but I didn't realize that like from this point on, the rest of the sh- show is like one continuous, is almost like one continuous take. It's like them running through the city and then they look up to see the planet breaking in half as they approaches the atmosphere, meteors hitting down. Uh, at them flying flying down at them uh they, they find shelter in this indoor bar and <laughs> this is like the funniest part of this for me brad is like they, they're like the only two people in this bar and like these two like military police officers on this planet like like are like gonna try to arrest them or something like don't they have more to worry about with this like planet coming down on this moon eh, like kind of standard <laughs> police behavior <laughs> not, not really worrying about the bigger problem at hand yeah, I don't know. Okay, so they fight them off and escape. The buildings are crashing down around them, and this whole thing is just like one continuous take. And there's a very interesting moment here that I wanted to point out, and I wanted to get your feel on, Brad. There's this building coming, crashing down on them. But Loki says, I got it. And he turns to the building, and then he seems to use his powers to push the falling building back up. Does Loki have the power to do that? I mean, he has magic abilities that allow him to move things essentially telekinetically. So, hmm. See, I wasn't quite sure if that was telekinesis or like. Here, here's another. I'm putting on my conspiracy theory hat, my 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 tinfoil hat here for this. Brad, maybe it's not telekinesis. Maybe he is rewinding time somehow. Mm, as far as i could tell it didn't look like he lifted it back up to like rewind time like when you see in in the climax of dr strange it looked like he just stopped it and moved it away from falling on them okay i bring this up for something later so this is a setup for a crazy conspiracy that isn't even mine this is when i read on twitter um but okay uh the episode ends with them watching a big chunk of the planet completely destroy the arc that they were trying to get on and was their only hope they look up at the sky in disbelief as dark moon by bonnie guitar plays and um you know we talked about the lyrics in the opening scene so i think we should do the with the ending piece here the lyrics are mortals have de wait the lyrics are mortals have dreams of love's perfect schemes but they don't realize that love will sometimes bring a dark moon. So some great fitting song choices here in the show. Uh, before we get into speculation, Brad, any final thoughts on this upset? Uh, one thing I wanted to point out is there are a couple potential little Easter eggs here that I don't necessarily know if they mean anything, but I want to point them out. 
and I mentioned them in my Easter eggs thing, is during that big one-take sequence where they're running around the city on Lamentis, there are two interesting symbols that you can see among the various neon signage and text that we can't read. Then there, there seem to be the only two symbols that actually have any meaning in like the quote-unquote real world. Um, other than the neon sign that looks like a bowl with ice cream or noodles in it. <laughs> um, but there's, uh, when they first walk in, there's a, like a triangular symbol on a wall that has graffiti on it. And it looks like a, kind of like a futuristic version of a Penrose triangle. Um, mm. And if, if you don't know what that is, it's an optical illusion that you, it can be depicted in a perspective drawing, but it can't exist as a solid object. So it looks like a 3D triangle that connects to, itself in like beam form but if you were to try and create it in the real 3d world it's impossible but it's but it's like this infinite 3d triangle essentially and then later actually just before loki catches that tower that almost falls on them there's a neon infinity symbol in the background and as we've talked about before another depiction of infinity is a mobius strip so i don't necessarily know what this means or why it's there uh, Wait, Brad, Brad, there's a person named Mobius in this in this what? show. What? <laughs> but yeah, so I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I feel like those kinds of details aren't accidental. Um, yeah. But what they mean, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I, I don't know what they mean, but uh, good to point them out. Okay, let's jump into the speculation. So I guess let's start at where the cliffhanger here. How will Loki and Sylvie escape death? My first guess is that the TVA is going to show up like Mobius is going to show up right in the nick of time um, to save them somehow. And then, and then Loki is going to tell Mobius that he is a variant. And then Owen Wilson's going to say, wow, or something. Um, it's funny that you say that because uh, Kate Heron actually confirmed in an interview not too long ago <laughs> that um, Owen Wilson probably isn't going to say wow yeah, <laughs> in this yeah, in the I series. <laughs> no, I, I read that article. So I, 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 thought it was, I thought it was too good of a joke, though. <laughs> um, my other theory is here. Okay, it's not my theory. Again, this is when I got on Twitter. Because remember before I said, like, the building was falling and Loki, like, kind of wound it through time, kind of, or used it or pushed it telekinetically. Um, some people think that Loki has the time stone because in episode one, when he's in the desk drawer and he's picking up the time stone, like the, uh, the infinity stones, he actually had like the time stone in his hand and we don't see him putting it back. So I, this one I think might be a little bit more insane. Like this, like on the insanity meter of like one to 10, I'd probably put this at like an eight or nine. Like, I, I'm not sure if this is – what do you think of this theory? I mean, it would be a way to, for them to get out of the situation if he had the time stone, right? It would be. I think it's doubtful, though, especially because as they've shown, whenever you're using the time stone, there's usually those, like, um, holographic-looking mystical symbols that appear, like, yeah. on your wrist or something that indicate, like, how you're moving time so that you can control it, like – I don't know, like a Nintendo Power Glove, basically. Um, it, it, also, there was no green glow at all. I looked. Yeah, so. and this was this was actually something that made me that that made um made me think uh, even more so that this is something that Loki is controlling as an illusion, where he's m- making it very convincing as what what he's doing and what's happening. So, if you think Loki is controlling this, what is his end game? What is he trying to get out of Sylvie? 
probably trying to find out what her plan is and just as much about her as he can in order to help him figure out what to do next. So if I asked you how will Loki and Sylvia escape death, you're going to say that they aren't in danger and this is all an illusion, right? I mean, yeah, if if that's true, then yeah, that's that's what I would say. <laughs> okay. Um did Sylvie's actions at the end of the last episode cause the start of the multiverse or was the TVA be able to put out all the fires or is it possible that there was already multiverses and timekeepers actually uh, aren't doing what they're saying? I mean, it's very likely the timekeepers aren't doing what they're telling the TVA they're, they're saying. What, what do you think? <laughs> no, I think that this will be the start of the multiverse. Um, but I and I do think that the timekeepers or someone has been trying to prevent a multiverse from happening because they're trying to maintain their control over the timeline so that the power that they have cannot be taken away. Whether it's actually the timekeepers or old man Loki or somebody else pulling the strings is I think that's the big question. But I do think that what has been going on is the timekeepers are not necessarily preserving the sacred timeline for the benefit of the universe, but just so that they don't lose control. Yeah. Or they're controlling it to the end. To uh, what ends are going to satisfy their means. I don't know, right. but they're like, they might, it might not be like they're preserving the timeline at all. It could just be that they are trying to move this. If you imagine time as like a, a river of water they're trying to navigate it to where they want it to be right yeah um so okay last episode we saw all those different loki variants that the tva had encountered over the years and i asked i was like you know if there weren't multiverses then where did these variants come from and some people on twitter were like well those were from when the universe was, there was so many variants and it was going to, you know, destroy the universe as we knew it. So all those variants came from before the timekeepers took control. Well, Sylvie's a variant that's obviously a version of Loki from a different multiverse. And she exists now, but she's also been around for many years. So how does she exist, Brad? Like, is she a variant from before the before there was one sacred timeline or is there multiverses already like how does this work i mean that could be part of the reveal that that she's not really a loki that she's just sylvie and because sylvie has a backstory where she's not actually asgardian she was given magical powers by loki and that was another thing we talked about about where there being an old man Loki, uh, and which would be a Loki from the future who has aged, not necessarily a Loki from an alternate timeline who has been messing around with things and put her on this path. So that's possible. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what does Sylvie want with the timekeepers? Like, I think we're to assume that she wants to get there and kill them. Well, why does she want to kill them? I mean, I would imagine she probably wants she she probably knows that they're doing something that they're not supposed to be doing, or that and that she wants them to stop being in control of the timeline. Yeah, I mean, it could just be that they've been after her to like take her out as a variant, so she needs to stop them before they stop her. Well, and this I'm guessing. And, and and to go back to the old man Loki thing, like that that continues to make 
more sense is that why do they have you know so much knowledge about all these different versions of loki if there wasn't a, an old man loki who knows that the only people that can probably stop him are other versions of himself hmm. interesting well clearly renslayer doesn't care if loki dies or not we we found that many like a couple times already in this series and renslayer is the only one that talks to the quote-unquote timekeepers it would seem weird to me that if old man Loki would want his younger self killed. If she is even aware that, yeah. you know, that old man Loki is pulling the strings, you know, we know what he, what Loki can do and he could easily be keeping up the facade that the timekeepers exist. Fair enough. Okay. So, uh, here's some, uh, some information. Tom Hiddleston did an interview and he said, uh, he was asked his favorite episode of the season and he said his favorite episodes were episode four and five. And they were his favorite because, quote, they take off in a direction I certainly didn't see coming when I read it. I'm really excited for the audience to see it so that's where we just expand into new territory, is what he said. Uh, so that's interesting. I felt like we we headed off into new territory this episode, but it seems like four and five are going to get uh, crazier. Well, so that's fun. I mean, yeah, it has to, and that's one of the things that I'm so intrigued about is because the thing, one of the things that we haven't seen yet, which I have no idea how it's going to tie into everything, is that shot of Loki where he's wearing like a suit with like political buttons and everything, like he's been campaigning for something, and I'm wondering <laughs> like what, how, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um. You know what? The one thing I'm disappointed with the season is already halfway over, Brad. I know, right? Three episodes into six episodes. Yeah. (sighs) Like, I wish this one was longer. But, um, okay, uh, let's get into your King theory from last week. So you had this theory, or did you read the theory? I'm guessing you read the theory somewhere. So I saw that there were hints of it, but then when I saw certain details, I kind of like formed, add a little bit more, yeah, to it to like make it fit. Yeah. Okay. So King the Conqueror, uh, your theory was King the Conqueror was possibly behind the TVA, Um, potentially one of the timekeepers. Yeah. Uh, So slash film reader Bailey Pass tweeted me an interesting theory, which I at first kind of wrote off as, um. Probably not something. It was interesting. It was probably not something. But the more and more I think about it, the more and more I I like it. And what that is is okay. Uh, let's rewind for a second. When Ant Man the Wasp was coming out in theaters, uh, the director of that film told us the audience to look closely at the scene where the heroes were escaping from the quantum realm, uh, because there's something in that scene that is might be a big part of Marvel's future. And what fans discovered in that scene was this tiny city. So there was this tiny city in the background. You can see it if you like screenshot or like you, you know, I'll put a link in the show notes to like the actual shot. And um, we assumed at the time that this was going to be just going to lead into quantum mania because, you know, this is a city, like a city that exists in the quantum realm and quantum mania is the, is the next Ant-Man and the Wasp film. Uh, but should mention that Jonathan Majors is going to be the bad guy in that film. He's going to appear as Kang the Conqueror. And so is it possible that TVA 
does exist outside of time itself, but not really because it exists in the quantum realm. So remember when Scott Lang went into the quantum realm and for a couple minutes and then five years passed in the real world? We, we learned that time works differently there. And we also learned from Owen Wilson in the first episode of the show. Uh, when Lucky asked, like, how long has he worked there? He's like, uh, well, it, it depends. Time, time works differently here. So, Brad, what do you think of this theory that the TVA could exist in the quantum realm? Um, it makes a lot of sense. It just fits based on you know the parameters that you just said, and it would pave the way for Kane the Conqueror to have some ties to the TVA potentially, because if it does exist in the quantum realm and Kane the Conqueror is the villain of Quantum Mania, then there's I feel like there's got to be something something there. It kind of it kind of just makes too much sense. Yeah. By the way, after last week's episode, I looked up like what King the Conqueror looks like. And he kind of looks like that middle timekeeper. Yeah, that's what I that's what I, I said yeah. in the last episode. Yeah, and, I know and, I know you said that, but I had not looked at, I had not compared it. And I, you you were right. He looks like very similar. So hmm. I don't know how it all fits together, but I think there's something here. That said, Brad, Jonathan Majors was asked by Variety if King the Conqueror would appear on Loki before appearing in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And apparently the actor, without the slightest bit of hesitation or pause, replied, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but that seems like a pretty good way to dodge a question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, any any other speculation you have, Brad, coming off of this episode? Um, I think that the reveal of the Time Variance Authority employees being variants is a big detail that probably paves the way for the TVA crumbling because if the multiverse starts to form <laughs> and we get all these different timelines, I imagine that we're probably going to see all those TVA employees like that. That's where they have to go. Cause there are so many of them. And like, if there's one timeline, then like, where are they going to go? And I imagine that at the end of this, when the TVA presumably comes crashing down, that they'll all go either go back to, whether it's their timelines or just different timelines. And I'm pretty sure I'm just, I'm just going to, I'm going to call it right now that, that one of the final things that we're going to see is uh, jet ski. Yeah. Mobius on that jet ski just, and just yeah. taking, taking off and not having to worry about being a variant. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was going to happen in like an action scene, but I think that's totally right. I think he's going to be, you know, uh, freed and he's going to be put back into his nineties heaven of, of riding a jet ski. And it totally see, makes sense why he likes Josta Cola. And see, that would be the perfect time too, where like he, he like takes it and like jumps it off some waves and he just stops and looks around. And he just goes, wow. <laughs> we're probably not okay. going to get it. We're probably not going to get it. <laughs> I hope so. They still have time. You, you guys, you could, you could reshoot that scene. <laughs> yeah. Okay. If you have any theories, Questions, comments, concerns, send it to us at peter at slashfilm.com and please leave your name and general geographic location in, in case we mention the email on the air. Uh, if you like this podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts and uh, write us, you know, take, take 20 seconds out of your day, write us like a five-star review to, you know, to tell us, to tell everybody what you like about this podcast that helps more people discover this podcast. And uh, this is free. We don't have ads. 
So we appreciate it. You can find more of all of us at slashfilm.com. And you can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, yeah. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.